Hello and welcome back to FDU Podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and I'm here to take you back to school. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Fire Department University. We just got done with the holidays. Hopefully everybody had a safe and happy holiday. I know that my family, especially my kids, made out like bandits like they do every year. And I'm sure that's um, the same story a lot of people have too when they describe their experience for their, their holiday. But we're winding down 2019 with this episode. This is going to be the last one we're going to post for the year. And then 2020, we're going to be coming back with some fantastic topics. We're going to be lining up some guest speakers on here that are subject matter experts for the topic at hand for that episode. So definitely stay tuned for that. If you haven't already downloaded Podbean and started following us on there, then please do. That way, anytime I post anything, whether it's FDU, the Hazmaticians, or Hazmatician Chronicles, you'll be alerted on your phone when those episodes drop or any, any new thing. Definitely follow us on our Facebook page too, which is uh, Fire Department University. All of our podcasts, all the hazmat ones, and then FDU, obviously, is under Fire Department University Facebook page. And there, not only do we just post the links to the episodes, but we also post various chemical bulletins for hazmat and any other kind of articles that are, you know, fire service related and whatnot. So definitely follow us on there, too. We also want to thank our sponsor for this episode, which is Hazmat Advanced Training Solutions. This company comes to your location and offers latest, greatest hazmat, decon training, and advanced firefighter training. So if you work at a hospital or a fire department, definitely contact them. Their website is hazmattrainingcourses.com. And the instructors are very well experienced in firefighting and hazmat. And they just draw from years and years of knowledge. And it, it's just basically their encyclopedias on the subject matter at hand. Today's topic is going to be hybrid vehicle and new vehicle technologies. So this this topic is very in-depth. It's like cell phones. There's always some kind of new iPhone coming out or some new tablet or computer. Hybrid vehicles and new vehicle technology is the same kind of concept. Like we have to, as first responders, we have to stay abreast to the fact that these things are out there. We're going to respond to them. People are getting more and more energy efficient, fuel economy efficient. So these cars are out there, especially people that drive long distances for work. It's a no-brainer to go with an electric vehicle or some form of a hybrid vehicle. So with that said, the chances of us as first responders responding to a car accident where we have a hybrid vehicle or an electric vehicle, the percentage is way up. This is going to be touching on a little bit of it. The This course in particular, I've traveled all over Florida and offered it. I've offered it at different fire conferences as well. So... Obviously, my course that I do train in person, I have great videos to show to debunk a lot of hybrid fears and myths that a lot of people have created in the fire service since they came out. So those videos debunk a lot of it because you have the visual aspect of it. And then we have the lecture as well. And just I draw on, you know, stories of dealing with hybrid vehicles myself when I've responded to, you know, motor vehicle crashes with them involved. So we're basically going to just kind of touch on a little bit. And if you have anything to add or even a story to add of something that was a new type of hybrid vehicle out there that you might have experienced in your line of work, then definitely uh, follow us on our Facebook page and, and message me because I'm always interested because I like to keep up to date on this stuff as well. And I always update the PowerPoint course that I offer. So let's get right into it. Let's dive into it. What is a hybrid? Well, we have to remember a hybrid vehicle is just an efficient gasoline or diesel conventional engine, but it also has a high voltage electric motor that is combined with that gasoline or diesel engine to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions and increase the fuel economy. Now, if we don't have that conventional engine with that high voltage battery, basically, and we just have a electric vehicle, 
then that vehicle is strictly running off a high voltage battery. Okay, so the first thing that should come to mind is a Tesla vehicle. Most vehicle manufacturers to keep up with competition of each other offer some form of a hybrid or an electric vehicle. The problem is with hybrid vehicle is the silent running aspect of it. The silent running aspect of it can really draw you in a false sense of security that you've secured the vehicle, but meanwhile you didn't. Maybe you didn't disconnect the proper battery. The 12 volt battery auxiliary power is still up and running because maybe you didn't get to it or you couldn't because of the damage on the vehicle. Is we're going to go into that a lot more. How do we tell a hybrid vehicle? Well, most manufacturers offer a form of what we call badging. So as you walk up to a vehicle, and hopefully this, this episode kind of gets your, your mind thinking these things. So when you're out running errands, for example, look at the various trucks and cars in the parking lot and pick out the badging aspect of, hey, is that a hybrid? Is that an electric vehicle? A lot of the badging that these manufacturers offer is they might have like a green leaf on the manufacturer's logo or the model of the vehicle's logo. But that green leaf, or if it's outlined in like a blue color, can indicate, hey, that's a hybrid vehicle. And you can find them anywhere on the, the side of the door, of the passenger driver side, the trunk, anywhere on the quarter panel, things like that. So it just it, it is manufacturer dependent where they want to put the badging. Another thing too is if you walk up to an electric vehicle that's involved in a MVC and you don't see any exhaust pipes in the back, Chances are it's an electric vehicle because there's no conventional engine that we need to have an exhaust pipe from. So just keep that in mind. So just things to look at when you're doing your inner and outer circles. There's a lot of things that you can look at on a hybrid vehicle and tell. Now, for example, you might have a Ford Fusion. That's a conventional Ford Fusion. And then you'll have one that looks exactly the same. Same color, same look, same front grille, same rims, everything. But the other one might be a hybrid vehicle because that badging that you see with like that green leaf or that blue outline of the badging indicates that it is a hybrid vehicle. Now, what if we come up to a vehicle that's on fire, fully involved vehicle fire? Do we care that it's a hybrid at that point? No, not at all. At that point, put the fire out. Obviously, have all your PPE on, water and foam and everything like that. Some things that I've had over the years when I teach this class around is questions of, well, I know it's a high voltage lithium battery, lithium ion battery. Isn't that a class D fire where I need a special extinguishing powder? The answer is actually you don't. The lithium ion doesn't actually contain any lithium metal that would require a special extinguishing agent. So copious amounts of water and foam will do the trick. And a lot of times those high voltage batteries that are usually in the trunk underneath the back seat, for example, depending on the manufacturer of the vehicle, they have that heavy duty protective casing around the battery cells. So that metal casing is made of steel. And if the battery cells catch on fire, that steel case around it actually maintains the fire in there. Yes, the fire might break out and catch the rest of the car on fire from the heat and whatnot, but the battery cells themselves actually just basically incinerate within that. It's like an oven. They're cooking it. So copious amounts of water, a lot of foam, and that'll take care of it. But some common hybrid vehicle myths that are out there that were created a long time ago, traveling around teaching, hearing them, I actually still hear them uh, because... If you were in the fire service when these vehicles first came out, then you might have been in that fear factor era. But a common one is you cannot extinguish a high voltage battery fire with water. Absolutely untrue. That's what you're going to do. Electricity will follow the water stream when putting out a hybrid fire. That's one of them. The high voltage battery will explode if on fire. The high voltage battery pack can leak acid if the battery cells are ruptured. Now keep in mind, it's not a 12 volt acid battery. So with that said, it's just a battery cell to make it a high voltage. And it basically has like kind of like a, like a gel in the middle of those battery cells. That's your conductor for the electricity to make it high voltage. 
the 12 volt batteries actually are more are, are a lot more dangerous because of the sulfuric acid and not to mention conventional vehicles with a 12 volt battery they cause more car fires than actual hybrid vehicles and electric vehicles statistically speaking now the electricity traveling up the water stream when you're trying to put out a hybrid vehicle on fire. Absolutely not true. All right. And we're going to get into a little bit of basic electrical theory in a little bit. And hopefully this will kind of put some of your concerns at rest. The high and the other one, the high voltage battery will explode if on fire. Again, not true. The only thing that may explode is if there is a actual gasoline tank that might release and and then you have an issue with a flammable liquid fire. But the battery itself will not explode, the high voltage battery. Here's another myth. If you touch the body of a vehicle, a hybrid vehicle that's been in an accident, you will be electrocuted. Not true. Again, we're going to talk about basic electrical theory in a little bit, and hopefully that'll put this, this myth to bed. If a hybrid vehicle is submerged in water and you go into the water to check for victims, you will be electrocuted. Again, where does electricity get created? Getting created in the battery to power the vehicle. Where is that electricity going to end? It's going to end in the vehicle of where it was created. Now, the only issue you're going to have, uh, going back to the other one, is if you touch a hybrid vehicle that's been damaged in a vehicle accident, that you could be electrocuted if that myth. The only time that myth will hold true is if the vehicle itself has run over a transformer out in an intersection or any other kind of ground electrical source that the vehicle crashed into and landed on top of. Then that could be a concern where the body of the vehicle, the metal components of the vehicle, become electrified and then you touch it and then you get electrocuted because that electricity, for example, is being created in the ground for that component. And now you have a vehicle on top of it. So now where's that electricity going to end? Well, it was created at the ground basically, and now it's going to end at the ground through the vehicle through you. So that's the only issue that that can happen. But again, vehicle being out in the middle of the road, not even near any kind of electric transformer, touching the body of the uh, hybrid vehicle, you'll be fine. You won't get electrocuted. Just make sure that, that you do your inner and outer circles to make sure that the vehicle's not on top of a transformer, if the vehicle's off on the side of the road or something. Things to think about there. The other thing, too, is going back to the, the vehicle submerged in water. I could be electrocuted because it's in the water. Not true again. Where's the electricity created? In the vehicle. It's going to end in the vehicle. Now, if you walk up and there's fish dead floating up to the surface around this vehicle, and it's an electrical vehicle or a hybrid vehicle, well, then maybe double check and... and you know, reevaluate what you're doing, okay? Because there could be a underwater electrical component that that vehicle went into and damaged and allowed the ground source of electricity coming through the water. It might be why, you know, if there's any fish or wildlife that's around it, that's floating up to the surface, dying, things like that. So just a couple things to keep in mind. Another myth, you cannot cut, move, or touch orange high-voltage wires. Well, I have a video in my PowerPoint that I teach that actually shows you the the debunking of this myth where if you accidentally cut the orange wires because of the damage of the vehicle and they get exposed that you won't get electrocuted now normally with hybrid vehicles there's a lot of redundant safety systems built into it whether it's the computer controlling it or just the electrical system in general kind of policing itself if there's any damage and whatnot most of the time the computer when it senses any kind of impact the sensors built into it shut off the high voltage power just as a safety reason, all right? Now, the only time that we might have an issue where the batteries get re-energized is if you have heavy-duty damage and there's another piece of metal that pierced into the high voltage to make a conductor, basically, to power it still. Highly unlikely, but there are reported cases that that has happened. So again, I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind, but nine times out of 10, you're not gonna have to deal with that. But what if the orange wires are exposed and I accidentally cut them with spreaders, cutters, um, 
reciprocating saw, you name it while you're doing extrication. Well, again, if it is energized for some reason, then it'll just flare up and damage your blade of your equipment. So you're going to be dishing out some dollars to get your equipment replaced, whether, you know, whatever hydraulic manufacturer you use or your reciprocating saw manufacturer. But you, where's the power getting created? It is getting created in the vehicle. Where's it going to end? It's going to end in the vehicle. So just keep that in mind. But most of the time, those high voltage wiring harnesses are underneath the floor pan of the vehicle where the passenger compartment is. And you have to have some really severe damage to the vehicle. I mean, I'm talking heavy damage where you're doing a full extrication response and you have technical rescue team coming out to do it. That's when you might see those wires, but nine times out of 10, even with some heavy damage, those wires are so hidden underneath the floor panel that you won't even see them. All right. So just be aware of it though. Keep your surroundings up. Remember they're bright orange. That's your high voltage wires for a hybrid vehicle or an electric vehicle. Another myth, approach tactics vary according to vehicle type. Again, not at all. Inner and outer circles should be performed. Cribbing, stabilization of the vehicle if you're doing extrication, all is the same. How you approach if it's on fire, same way. You're approaching from the side. You're not approaching from the front of the vehicle or the back of the vehicle because of the spring-loaded bumpers. Okay, and that, that's for any conventional vehicle, hybrid vehicle. They all have the same kind of technology and aspects of design with that. But your approach is the exact same no matter what kind of vehicle it is. Another myth, it is possible to, to deploy airbags after the ignition is off and the 12-volt battery has been disconnected. There is a video floating around from Ohio and from Dayton, Ohio, where back in the 90s, they were doing an extrication and, and you can look it up on YouTube and they were using the spreaders and they hit the middle console where the computer system was for the SRS, which is the airbag system. And it activated the passenger airbag and actually knocked one of the firefighters right out of the car. And it, I mean, it's, it's pretty dramatic if you watch it and, you know, it's really grainy, but you'll, you see the whole thing happen. They tried to duplicate that over and over, same make, model, same kind of damage, same. It, it was just one of those freak occurrences. And it's kind of like they, they couldn't explain how it happened. And they even the Dayton, Ohio Fire Department tried to re, recreate it. Now, I have a video in the PowerPoint that shows another company trying to recreate it out on the West Coast of the country. And they couldn't. Same vehicle, everything. And they could not activate the airbags by crushing the computer mechanism, all the fuses, all the relays for the airbag system, the same exact way Dayton, Ohio had it. So again, it was just one of those freak occurrences. So kind of one of those perfect storm incidents. So again, we're going to go in a little bit later in this episode about other vehicle technologies and airbag systems are one of them. And we'll talk about how that this is an absolute myth about possibly deploying an airbag after the ignition is off and 12 volt battery has been disconnected of why chances are you can't activate the airbag after the fact. So let's talk about some basic electrical theory. Basic electrical theory for us, batteries that we're dealing with in these vehicles, whether it's a 12 volt auxiliary battery or the high voltage battery, batteries are direct current. Now, vehicles have alternating current in the form of inverters, converters. So that's gonna be powering all the other stuff, but it's gonna have to change from like a DC to an AC for certain mechanisms and computers and whatnot in that vehicle. So you do have everything. You have direct current and alternating current in your vehicles. But when I look at that bright orange wiring harness, for example, what does that tell me? Well, why has it become high voltage? Well, because it's greater than 60 volts and it's greater than one amp. And when you have greater than 60 volts plus greater than one amp, if you touch that open electricity, for example, that will probably kill you. Now you gotta have the electricity has to travel across your heart to cause cardiac arrest because a lot of people be like, well, I see people or hear about people getting struck by lightning all the time and some of them never die. That's true because that high voltage lightning bolt never crossed the heart. 
it burned them, it damaged them, but it never hit them to the point where it was going to cause cardiac arrest. So remember, greater than 60 volts plus greater than one amp equals death. Now, the other thing too is the police tase people and that's like 50,000 volts. Yes, it is 50,000 volts, but it's milliamps. So yeah, we have one part of the equation there. So the high voltage of that police taser, for example, basically will cause extreme muscle spasms and, and, and take you down. But because it's in milliamps, it doesn't usually equal death. So if it was 50,000 volts plus greater than one amp, well then yeah, the tasers that the police use would be killing people all the time. So that's why the volts are there, but the amperage is not. So that's why it can just incapacitate people, but not kill them. So that's the difference with that. Anytime you see, and, and the extension cords you have at your house and whatnot, the heavy duty ones that you buy from Home Depot or, or wherever, those extension cords sometimes are orange. But another question I commonly get is, well, at Christmas time, I buy the brown one or the, the green one to put out in my yard to put the Christmas lights up. Are those high voltage? They actually are. But the way to get around it where they don't have to make it orange is they put a label on it. And most of the time we rip the label right off because it's in the way. That label is basically telling you this is a high voltage wire extension cord used with caution. So orange is the normal like kind of uh, international color of high voltage and greater than one amp. So it, it tells you that. But the way they can get around it, as long as they have that label there on your extension cord, then you're fine. And then they can make it high voltage, but not orange. So just keep that in mind. Another type of hybrid vehicle that you might experience out there is what they call a mid-voltage hybrid vehicle. And just to read you off a couple making models and years that they were manufactured, because they're still on the road, the 2004 to 2006 GM Sierra truck, the 2007 to 2009 Saturn Aurora and View, and 2008 to 2010 Chevy Malibu. Now, these vehicles, because they're technically what they call mid-voltage hybrids, don't have the bright orange high-voltage wires because they don't meet that 60 volts with the one amp. So they're not high-voltage at that point. But their wiring harness is actually blue wires, and that indicates a mid-voltage hybrid vehicle. The only thing is these vehicles were marketed as full hybrids, meaning high-voltage kind of thing. These vehicles actually use 36 to 42 volt battery packs and the start and stop gasoline engine during deceleration and idle time will kind of click on and off the, the conventional engine and activate the battery pack for the electrical aspect of it to help reduce any kind of greenhouse emissions while sitting in traffic, help reduce pollution and also fuel economy. So you're not burning your whole tank of gas while waiting in heavy traffic, for example. So that's why they kind of took the hybrid idea but they didn't go the whole way to make it a full hybrid, which is the high voltage kind. Now, again, these wires still run underneath the passenger compartment on the very bottom of the vehicle. So if there is heavy damage, then you may or may not see it. Again, same thing with the regular hybrid vehicle, but just be aware of that. If you see that blue wire harness hanging out under a vehicle from heavy damage, then that's a mid-voltage wire. Avoid those wires, but again, if you cut them, those redundant safety features of a hybrid vehicle and the computer and whatnot, the wires have already already been de-energized anyway. So, but again, still just keep that in the back of your mind if you ever are experienced with one of those, okay? Now let's talk about electric vehicles. And we have to remember, electric vehicles, they were available in the late 1800s, but they fell out of favor because of gasoline-powered cars became readily available. And a lot of that goes into the behind the scenes of the oil companies shutting down the electric vehicle and, and making it where they had to have conventional engines. So there's a lot of behind the scene things that occurred, but... Again, these were available in the late 1800s. This is not really super new technology. 
And one vehicle, like I said a little bit earlier, comes to mind is the Tesla vehicle. And I know Tesla has been in the news a lot lately about, you know, self-driving vehicles that have crashed into other vehicles and, and hurt or kill people or pedestrians. So again, that's a new vehicle technology that obviously they're going to either keep working it out till they get it right, or they're just going to maybe push it to the wayside for the time being. Who knows? I'm just speculating on that one. But again, Tesla, not only was that part of the news recent for Tesla, but many years ago out in the West Coast of the country, out I believe in Washington State and Oregon, were Tesla's apparently just bursting the flames on the side of the road. Well, if you were to look into that, the case studies behind those, they happened two weeks apart from each other. But each of those Teslas in two different states, which is so weird that it happened, you know, two weeks apart and in two different states, neighboring states, is those vehicles, those Teslas that were driving down the road actually hit road debris, which was metal pieces of road debris. Basically, Tesla's, your, your, your high voltage battery, the battery is underneath the entire passenger compartment. Think of it as you're driving an iPad, basically. That's how I can describe it. But with that said, those case studies, two weeks apart from each other of those fires in two neighboring states, they, those vehicles hit road debris that punctured the bottom of the high voltage battery that the passengers sit on and the driver sits on and they shorted out those high voltage battery cells. And then obviously the vehicle fires in the suit. So what did Tesla do after they looked into that? Well, they reinforced the bottom protection plate with thicker metal to prevent road debris, especially metal road debris, puncturing it again. So this had to make it a little bit thicker. Some component locations and things that you should look for if you're ever dealing with, like for example, a Toyota Prius. A lot of times their 12 volt battery is in the back in the trunk area. The high voltage battery is in the back too, and it takes up a lot of the trunk area. Well, there is a high voltage disconnect switch and it's bright orange. Anything high voltage will be bright orange. So the high voltage disconnect switch is mainly for the mechanics when the car goes into the shop and before they put it on the lift, they'll pop that disconnect switch off to basically prevent any kind of form of energy coming from that high voltage battery. If you happen to see it from when you're doing your inner and outer circle or, or what, and maybe you can't get to the 12 volt battery because of the damage of the vehicle or where, what, where it should be, but you can get to that disconnect switch, then go ahead and pull it. Turn it or there's a tab on there that you just pull out and then it disconnects the whole switch. And that's the one way to do it. Now remember, the 12 volt battery, as small as that is, that is almost like the powerhouse of the high voltage battery system. So if you can get that 12 volt battery, and obviously you cut your negative first and your positive, your black wire first and your red wire, then that should do a good job of shutting down the high voltage battery. But if it's been in an accident, like I said, that computer's probably already had that redundant safety system kick in and it shut down the battery. Just keep that in mind. There's ways of shutting things down when it comes to the high voltage battery. So let's talk about power down procedures. If we are at a accident and we want to begin doing our process of performing our 360 degree inspection, do your inner and outer circle. You want to begin checking to see how are we going to immobilize or stabilize the vehicle, whether it's wheel chocks or cribbing, however you want to do it. Keep in mind though, these vehicles may be silent running. That is a hazard here. I'll share a quick story of why I really got heavily interested in hybrid and new vehicle technology and why I basically created a lecture on it and traveled around teaching it is many, many, many years ago, I responded to a vehicle accident. And when we were going to that call, all the updates from the dispatcher, it sounded like we were going full-blown extrication when we got there. Vehicles rolled over, one rolled on top of another, there's heavy damage, there's vehicles and debris all in the intersection. So as we're going and we're getting closer to the scene, I see 
four tires sitting up in the air. And I'm thinking, okay, so we got a car on the roof. All right, that's a given. That one vehicle that was on its roof was actually on top of another vehicle. So it got hit, apparently, rolled. And then the cars that were sitting at the turn lane, the car that got hit in the intersection and rolled over, rolled on top of one of the cars. And I'm telling you, debris everywhere. And you would think that there were going to be severely injured people. I think only one person had to be transported for extremely minor injuries. So that incident and, and what, what I'm getting at is after we were waiting for the tow truck to get there to take the cars away, my captain and I were standing there. We secure the vehicles. We cut the batteries on most of them. One of them, that was a hybrid vehicle, brand new Mercedes. The guy had bought it like a week prior. And I happened to just kind of like lean up against the car while we were waiting for the tow truck. But because of the damage on that front end of that hybrid vehicle, I couldn't hear it running. But because of the damage and the metal, the vibration from the damage actually alerted me to the vehicle still running. So again, it was silent running. So after that, we looked around and we asked the, uh, the driver of the vehicle, who was not hurt at all, hey, how do you turn this off? And because he had just bought it a week before, he was still learning the ins and outs of it. He's like, I have no idea. you know. And we're like, okay, was it a special kind of vehicle or what? Is a special kind of key to it? It's a new hybrid vehicle. Boom, there we go. So we didn't know where the high voltage battery was. We didn't know where the 12 volt battery was. It was so like heavily secured. So what did we do? We just popped the hood, went to the big fuse panel underneath the hood and just started pulling the biggest, brightest color fuses, which were bright red, bright orange. We just started pulling those. That's how we were able to shut the power down. So if you're ever in doubt like that and you can't get to that high voltage battery to pull the disconnect switch or cut the 12 volt battery, then go to the fuse panel if you're able to and just start pulling fuses. And that, I mean, that's not as great as securing a battery, but it's something because now you've just taken out the relay aspect with the fuse for some of the electrical system. After we do our inner and outer circle, secure the vehicle, now we're going to begin looking at the dashboard. So remember, try to look for a dashboard if you confirm that, okay, this is an electric vehicle or a hybrid vehicle, look at the dashboard and look for a ready light or an illumination light, meaning the vehicle status, that the vehicle is in ready mode or the power is still on basically because it's illuminating the dashboard. The initial patient contact, you want to try to use your power options for accessing the patients, whether it's putting the windows down, power locks, opening the trunk if they have belongings in there, because once you cut those batteries, that secure, that, I mean, that powers all the auxiliary material and equipment of that vehicle. Some trunks, you have to use the electrical system from inside the car because they don't have keys or they don't require it, you know, using an actual key to open the trunk. So things to think about. And I've had that happen where we cut the battery, we were really aggressive, got the battery cut. The person was not going to the hospital because they weren't hurt at all, but they had a whole trunk full of like their belongings and they wanted to take it with them. But we were like, uh, we can't get to your trunk now because the battery's cut. As we go along, things that I've picked up over the years of doing this and dealing with these kind of vehicles, food for thought. Hopefully, you know, you can remember that if you're on one of these accidents and, and remember some information from the podcast in terms of it's little things too. It's the little things that make a difference that will make the public very happy or kind of like, okay, great. Now I can't get to my stuff, you know, but it's not our fault. It's just sometimes it happens. Okay. So we make initial patient contact. We uh, optimize the patient access if possible, place the vehicle in park if it's not done already, or set the parking brake, turn off the ignition, whether it's an actual key or a power button. And one thing to remember is the smart key, all right? A lot of smart keys are with, if they're within the vehicle, then you might want to take them. A lot of people are like, oh, well, I'll take them and put them in the dashboard of the fire engine or the ambulance or whatnot, just to get them away from it, because that's what's going to power the vehicle. The thing is you need the key to start the car, okay? Once the car is off, the thing is you don't, you might have that one 
smart key, but what if they have a backup smart key in the dashboard in the or in the glove box? What if there's a backpack because their kids starting to learn how to drive and they have a smart key in the backpack or whoever, you know, somebody's purse or bag or whatnot, they have a smart key too. But the one that was sitting in the cup holder or wherever you thought you got them, there could be multiple keys. So just keep that in mind. If you're wondering why the heck isn't the car turning off, I just took the smart key and just things to think about. Confirm the ready light and the dash illumination is off after you've done these power down procedures, after you turn the vehicle off. And make sure, again, a small little thing to try to remember, turn off the headlights. And the reason for this is they could have HID lighting, which is high intensity discharge lighting. That is a shock hazard because it's powered by the auxiliary power of the battery. Make sure, you know, you try to turn the headlights off, especially if there's front end damage and they do have those HID lights, because if you don't get the power completely secured and you're working by the front of the vehicle and you bump the vehicle where that headlight is damaged with that HID lighting, it could give you a nice little shock and probably won't kill you, but it'll let you know that it'll, it'll, it'll surprise you. Another thing too, to confirm that your battery power has been secure is turn on the hazard lights and then you can go to your 12 volt battery you know, secure the power to the 12 volt battery. And if those hazard lights shut off, you're good. You've completely disconnected the electricity hazard to that vehicle. And then you just want to confirm all the hazard lights are off and, and everything's good to go on that. And that's how you should do your procedure. So we'll recap, do your inner and outer circle. Again, keep in mind about silent running. Look at the dashboard if you're able to, to see if it's lit or not, or what status the vehicle's in. Make your initial patient contact, try to maximize the patient access, lowering the windows, moving the seats back, popping the trunk if they have belongings in there, put the vehicle in park or set the parking brake, turn off the ignition, whether it's a key or a power button. And again, keep in mind about multiple smart keys being in the vehicle, create the car to start again. Confirm that the uh, ready light and the dash illumination is off after you've turned the vehicle off. Turn off the headlights if you remember because of the high intensity discharge lighting hazard. Turn on the hazard lights and then do your 12 volt battery cut with the terminals. And once you confirm that the hazard lights are off, you've secured the vehicle, the vehicle's power at that point. All right. So that's that should be your your set of procedures for doing dealing with a hybrid vehicle. Right. Now, what if you can't get to the dashboard? You can't observe it, that it's not on, it's not illuminated. Well, if that's the case, try to do all the other procedures. Maybe you can get to the uh, hazard light button. Maybe you can get to the headlights and turn those off. Maybe you can get to the power seats or the windows and do all that to make better patient access. Again, if you can't get to that 12 volt battery because of the damage or, you know, maybe it's up against a wall or another vehicle or it's just in a precarious situation or position, I should say, then try to find that fuse block under the hood or wherever and start pulling fuses. It's not as good as cutting a battery, but eh, it's the next best thing. If you are dealing with a vehicle that is submerged, well, Keep in mind the redundant safety system of that vehicle. The hybrid vehicle, same kind of situation. Once that vehicle and that computer and that battery senses any kind of uh, submersion, then it'll power down. Okay, again, keep in mind if you see a bunch of fish floating up around the vehicle, then obviously reevaluate going in there. The electricity's already been shorted out and the battery's already powered down. Now, when the high voltage battery is underwater, it will begin to fizzle and short out internally. Now, what it's actually doing is that high voltage battery is actually splitting water. So it's not letting it become H2O, it's actually letting it become hydrogen and oxygen on its own. Now, that gas that's being given off here can accumulate in a sealed passenger compartment. So just be mindful. And the gas that it actually creates when it shorts out the battery is it's creating hydrogen sulfide, right? Which is a toxic flammable gas. So, but all you can do for that is just vent the vehicle, open the doors, let it kind of dissipate out for a little while. 
and then it should be safe to go, especially if you're standing by after the fact and you're kind of maybe helping the wrecker driver do things or whatnot. That's one thing to keep in mind is vented appropriately. With fire procedures for hybrid vehicles and electric vehicles, we kind of already touched on it. Perform your, your fire attack as you normally would, your approach from the side, not from the front of the car or the back of the car. Hot, copious amounts of water and foam. Don't worry about a class D extinguishing agent because there's no actual lithium metal in the high voltage battery cells. So that that's a good thing. And just flood the vehicle as much as you can, copious amounts of water. And if you were to ever read any of the user manuals for those cars, they'll probably say the exact same thing with the fire approach. And now the tactics I was that I just mentioned to you with the copious amounts of water, foam, that you don't need a class D extinguishing agent. That is the proper practices for, for fighting vehicle fires per NFPA and IFSTA and the National Fire Academy. That's what they're teaching. That's what their writings are about. So that, that's basically what a lot of the manufacturers put in their user manual when you first buy these vehicles. Now let's talk about that other vehicle technology, the high intensity discharge lighting. This form of uh, lighting came out 1990s, early 1990s. It uses a step-up coil to convert a 12-volt charge to 25,000 volts when it's in operation. So if you're ever driving down the road and you see those like really bright white lights or almost like a bluish light that are really bright, those are HID lighting headlights. So that is a shock factor and shock hazard if you don't power down the hybrid vehicle's power system. And if you bump that open HID lighting from the damage from the accident, you run the risk of possibly getting a shock. The other thing, too, is not only a shock hazard for you, but it can also create a fire hazard too, where you know it can start smoldering and then boom, you got a fire going while you're working a car accident. It does not charge the body of the vehicle, the water stream, or any extrication tool. So that's a good thing. But it, that open part, if you hit it the right spot, again, shock hazard, fire hazard, but nothing to be fearful of charging the, bo the body of the vehicle, the water stream, if you're, you're fighting a fire or whatnot, or if you're doing extrication, right? So hopefully that kind of puts a little bit more puts a couple fears to bed with that kind of lighting. Now, how is the HID lighting measured? Well, they measure it in Kelvin, and that's where you get that really bright light. It doesn't measure the intensity of the brightness. Kelvin is the measurement of color temperature only, not the intensity of the brightness. So just keep that in mind, okay? So again, that light blue, almost white color headlight that you see and you think the person has their, their high beams on at you, they probably don't. It's probably just HID lighting. Some other... New vehicle uh, technologies that you may come across, they're not too common, but they're out there, are run-flat tires. And usually you'll see these on your more expensive imported vehicles that are SUVs or just regular cars. But a lot of times you see them on the SUVs. These vehicles with the, these particular run-flat tires present a problem to us when we're doing an extrication. So when we're trying to put the cribbing in there and we try to pull the valve stems to lower the vehicle onto the cribbing, onto the rim... Well, obviously, these vehicles aren't going to do that because they have extra thickness of rubber in the wheel wall to prevent it from going completely flat. Get a puncture in these type of tires, they lose air, but they don't go completely flat, giving you any, you know, 50 miles to drive to the next exit if you're in the middle of nowhere so you can get a tire change out. So how do we handle it? Well, you might have to make up the void when you pull the valve stems with cribbing, and that's really the thing. Or if you're using any kind of struts to kind of stabilize the vehicle, that's another option too. But you're not going to get these wheels completely on the rim. So just keep that in mind when you're dealing with run-flat tires because they are out there. Not too common, but still, they're out there. Okay, well, let's get into airbag systems. Now, with airbags, one of the myths I've heard out there about airbag systems is hurry up when you're securing the vehicle and you're doing your inner circle. You see any kind of cell phones or iPads or tablets or computers plugged into the USB cable or, or the old cigarette lighter ports, 
then the battery power from that device, that phone or that computer or that tablet can backfeed through that port where it's plugged in, where it's charging from, backfeed into the electrical system and basically cause the airbags to deploy if they haven't already. Again, absolute myth. Why they can't deploy and why your battery, and one, your battery in your phone or your tablet or even a small laptop plugged in your car, the battery on there doesn't have enough energy to power a vehicle airbag system. I mean, a phone battery might have 3.6 volts and that that's pushing it. Small tablet or a laptop might have seven point whatever, but an airbag system has a minimum what it requires to deploy it, 10.6 volts is what it requires. The devices we have don't have that energy to do it. Not to mention, even if they did, those systems where you plug in your device to charge while you're driving, they have diodes built into them. And what a diode is, basically is a one-way road. So the electricity is coming out from the vehicle itself while your device is plugged in to charge your device or power. So therefore that diode is like one-way road. So it doesn't allow the back feeding from the battery of that particular device you have plugged in to go back through that port into the car system itself. Only the car system can power it from the auxiliary power system. Your device can't backfeed it to power the car auxiliary system, if that makes sense. So again, diodes are a one-way street. Energy only comes out one way to power your device. Your device can't backfeed. So hopefully that kind of puts that myth to bed for you. And therefore, when you're doing your inner circle, you don't have to unplug phones, tablets, laptops that are plugged in. It's a, it's a moot point. It's a waste of a step while you're doing your inner circle. It's a moot point. Now, one thing to remember about your deployment mechanisms for your airbags is you have pyrotechnic inflators and then you have hybrid inflators. Now, your pyrotechnic inflators use sodium azide, which is basically a propellant for rockets, rocket fuel, things like that, high heat to cook it off, to deploy it. So when your vehicle senses and your computer senses, hey, we have impact, we're going to deploy our airbag, these things fire off at minimum 200 miles per hour just to get it out there from the impact of your body going forward till your seatbelt pretensioners kick in and pull you back and that airbag meeting you halfway. People will say, well, that powder in the, and this is a question I get because I, I do teach um, extrication too for, for operations and technician levels. I've gotten the question over the years of that powder that's on the airbag that was that like talcum powder. Uh, what is that? There is that powder there to kind of lubricate the bag itself to kind of fire out so it doesn't catch it's not any of those. It's not talcum powder. It's not any kind of powder to lubricate the, the bag itself to deploy. That powder that you see come out of the bag, or if you get to an accident and they have like that powdery kind of aerosolized vapor in there, that is sodium azide fumes. So the thing you can do is hurry up and open the windows or open the doors to vent the car because that person that might be in the vehicle that hasn't gotten out yet is breathing in hazardous material fumes. But again, let's go back to it. If it was, if it were talcum powder, talcum powder is basically right next to asbestos and it causes the same kind of health effects of asbestos, the mesothelioma, things like that. Either way, one, it's not talcum powder, so that should put you at ease. But two, the sodium azide is absolutely hazardous material. So you, you try to vent the cars quickly as you can because you don't want the person sitting in there. And two, if you're going in there to hold a C-spine, to get the person out and extricated or render medical aid, like IVs and whatnot, if it's going to be an extended extrication, then you don't want to be breathing it in either, either as a first responder getting into the vehicle to help out. Now, your hybrid inflators, these are your high-pressure gas cylinders that also have a pyrotechnic, but what deploys them is the high-pressure gas cylinder. These are like your curtain airbags. These are the airbags that you'll see with the gas cylinder to deploy the uh, curtain airbags. 
in your A post. These will have anywhere from 3,000 to 12,000 PSI of an inert gas, which is a good thing. It's not flammable, obviously, argon, nitrogen, inert gases, okay? So you'll see these also in your seatbelt airbags and your side seat airbags, okay? Not always a curtain airbag. I mean, this is what deploys a curtain airbag, but there's some vehicles that eh, you'll find airbags everywhere, under the seat, for your knees, by the gas pedals, for your ankles, you know, your seatbelt. Now, in order for your airbags to deploy, your computer in your car has to have what they call an event. Now, the event looks for three particular things. One, it looks for impact. Two, it looks for deceleration. And three, it looks for speed. And remember, your computer is making all these decisions in milliseconds, whether it can deploy airbags or not. If it doesn't have all three of these steps for that particular event, then it won't deploy the airbag. So you'll show up to an accident and you're like, okay, that's pretty heavy damage, but there's no airbags deployed. So now you got to think there was an event, but it didn't meet the criteria for that computer to deploy airbags. Remember, the event is impact, deceleration, and speed. Not to mention the capacitors for the 12-volt battery to power the airbag system has to be intact as well. Some other technology that's built into your vehicles, the data recording. It's kind of like the black box on an airplane other than you know recording audio on you, but it downloads everything from like what speed you were at when you were in the, the vehicle accident, how hard you pushed the brake pedal, how much pressure you put down on the throttle, how the, the gear position of impact, did airbags deploy, all that stuff. Now, just because you cut the 12 volt battery and disconnect it that way, you're not gonna permanently lose the data in the computer for the event reconstruction it's called, right? So don't be fearful if somebody comes up like, don't cut the battery, you're gonna lose all the information in the, the computer, you know, cause this is gonna go to court, this, this car accident. No, do what you need to do to secure the scene, secure the vehicle, do your extrication, get the power secured, but they can always hook up a new battery to it and pull it from the, the vehicle's computer. So don't think that it's gonna be lost. The vehicle itself, the computer in there, permanently stores the information whenever the airbags are deployed or whenever there's impact. So just make sure you do the right thing with securing the vehicle, making it safe for you and your crew. Another thing you're gonna possibly see out there, and last time I looked into it was Australia was the only country that had it at the time, pedestrian airbags that basically Volvo was the manufacturer that was introducing it out there where it lifts up the bonnet of the hood to give a buffer and a gap there with that airbag deployed and then deploys across the face of the windshield and up partial of the A-post and also covers the windshield wipers. So if anybody's head hits that area, it actually creates that airbag cushion for them if they go up over your hood and land on your hood and hit that base of the windshield. So, but it lifts up the actual hood to keep the person from hitting the hard components of the engine itself. So that's one thing that you might come across. That might be, you know, every vehicle down the road might have it. But like I said, many years ago when I was putting together the, the lecture aspect of this course, that was one thing. We, we actually have a video in our PowerPoint that we show where Volvo is showing how it operates. So like I said, last I heard it was in, available in Australia. I'm not sure if it was it's a, if it's available here in the United States yet. If it is, just keep that in mind, okay? Especially on, on the Volvo. The other new vehicle technologies that you might find out there of trying to get away from actual gasoline or diesel is you might run into trucks or cars that have compressed natural gas or liquid natural gas, not to mention liquid hydrogen vehicles, hydrogen fuel cells, the propane forklifts to small vehicles, biodiesel, flex fuel, which is your E85s that you might find. Again, the badging is there for these alternative fuel vehicles as well. That is pretty much the 
hybrid and new vehicle technology. I hope you took something out of it. It's been a passion of mine because I've been teaching vehicle extrication for many, many years. And that's one thing I can definitely, you know, talk somebody's ear off is you want to know about cutting cars up and techniques and all that. And that's going to be a future episode is different techniques of just, you know, basic vehicle extrication. And for those of you that have already taken the class or are a vehicle extrication technician, hopefully you'll take one or two things out of it. And if anything, it's more or less a review. And for anybody that's new into the fire service or looking to go into that technical rescue aspect of vehicle extrication, it'll kind of set maybe the foundation for things to look at, looking at things from a different point of view and being able to safely, you know, stabilize the scene, power down the vehicles, and then perform your, your vehicle extrication to get the, the victims out. I want to say again, thank you to Hazmat and Advanced Training Solutions for sponsoring this episode. If you have any questions, follow us on Facebook, Fire Department University Facebook page. Message us if you have anything to add to this, or if you have a, a story about dealing with a vehicle that was hybrid or electric vehicle and anything you learned from it. Because again, I look to our listeners and other firefighters to share things with me because it's an open network I look at it as. We're here to learn from each other. You have something that maybe I didn't cover in this episode, share it with me. I, I'd love to hear it. You know, I'm, I'm always looking to learn new things from wherever I can, whether it's reading a magazine, an article online, or just talking to, you know, a fellow firefighter and or first responder. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. And we'll see you on the next one. Have a good one.